Here we go. Okay, Uh, Donald Trump criminally indicted in Georgia, making this the fourth time in six months that the former president will be arrested. It looks like we're getting reports that 10 indictments have been handed down and the district attorney for Fulton County, Georgia, Fonnie Willis, is going to be doing a press conference after the indictment, which right now is sealed. Uh, They're going to print it out. We'll know exactly what's in it. And she will do a press conference later on this evening. Donald Trump criminally indicted in Georgia. The indictment is still sealed. We're expecting a press conference momentarily before it's released. The evidence was overwhelming and it happened much faster than anyone could have predicted. The indictments happened much quicker than anybody could have predicted. There was just too much evidence too much not to indict. Last week, the Fulton County District Attorney, Fawny Willis, announced she would convene this grand jury for this week. We expected it to start on Tuesday, not Monday, but it started on Monday, and we expected testimony throughout the week with a possible indictment maybe on Friday or early next week. The indictments were supposed to be handed down in late August, not on August 14th. The grand jury showed up Monday and they said, after hearing more testimony, that's enough. They retired to the jury room and came back with what we believe are 10 indictments. Again, if you're hearing this not live, this is before the indictments have been unsealed and before Fawny Willis gives her press conference at roughly 9 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Fulton County Judge Robert McBurney. He'll be the presiding justice in the case. He returned to his bench, signed the indictment. And as I keep mentioning, it is sealed. We we only know that there are 10 indictments. And there is a possibility that some of those indictments may not include election interference or have anything to do with Donald Trump. It, this grand jury is also looking at other cases, so they may... Those 10 indictments may not all be Donald Trump. And we don't know who has been indicted. I think it's a safe bet that those 10 indictments are for Donald Trump. We don't know yet. On Monday, Fulton County, uh, Georgia District Attorney Fawny Willis brought at least three witnesses before a grand jury, before the grand jury, looking into Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 presidential election results in Georgia. This grand jury seems to have indicted Donald Trump on several counts for the role he played in attempting to overturn the election results immediately after the 2020 election and all the way through till January 6. As I said, this makes the fourth criminal arrest. He will be arrested. And the sheriff for Fulton County has said there will be a mugshot This will be the fourth arrest in roughly six months, and the year isn't over. After nearly two and a half years of investigations, as well as an advisory grand jury, prosecutors brought at least three witnesses in to testify before this grand jury, far different from the advisory grand jury. This grand jury handed down real indictments. 24 jurors sit on this grand jury, and in order to get an indictment, you need a simple majority. 13 have to vote yes. It'll be interesting to see uh, what the vote was. I'm not sure if you 
if we get the tally, if it was unanimous. I suspect it was. Jeff Duncan, who was the lieutenant governor of Georgia up until January of this year, testified on Monday. He's a Republican. Duncan was openly critical of Donald Trump before and after January 6th and called Trump's claims of election fraud in Georgia flat out wrong. On Monday, before the indictments, on the same day, Gabe Sterling testified. He is the chief operating officer in the office of the Georgia Secretary of State. He testified before the grand jury, if you remember, right before January 6th, a couple of weeks before January 6th, he went before a bank of microphones in the state capitol and said the death threats have to stop. He publicly castigated Trump and his associates, telling them to knock it off with the claims of election fraud. Sterling is a Republican. He has testified in Washington and before the Georgia State Legislature on all the death threats, MAGA-inspired, as well as the death threats that Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani inspired, even though three recounts, one of which the Trump campaign paid $600,000 to conduct, three recounts in the state of Georgia clearly demonstrated that Donald Trump had lost the state. By January 2nd, when Donald Trump called Brad Raffsenberger, the secretary, uh, the uh, I'm just checking to see if there's any information, the secretary of state. Uh, hang on. Are we getting anything? OK, nothing new yet. Uh, by the time that infamous call that we all heard was made, three recounts had said no voter fraud. Uh, Sterling, like the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, is a Republican, as is Brad Raffsenberger, the secretary of state. He's also a Republican. Also going before the uh, grand jury on uh, Monday was George Cheedy. I think I have a picture of him. There's George Cheedy. Do I have George Cheedy there? He's an independent journalist. He was called to testify on Monday, but he tweeted out that the jury seems to indicate they don't want to hear him, that they have enough information to make a decision. So I don't know if the independent journalist George Cheedy, who was subpoenaed, I don't know if he testified. He said the jury seems to have indicated they've heard enough. Cheedy is significant because he was in the state capitol. He's a journalist. And while he was in the state capital of Georgia on December 14th, he stumbled into the meeting of the fake electors on December 14th. And that meeting will be used as evidence that Donald Trump conspired to commit forgery. He solicited numerous false statements. I don't know what the indictment, how it reads. This is before the indictment comes down. But I suspect If Donald Trump gets all 10 indictments, it'll be for soliciting numerous false statements, coercing subordinates into committing crimes for him. I'll get to the RICO predicates, the RICO prosecution in a second. I have a everybody is saying that it's a RICO prosecution, and that's I'll try to explain what that is for you. Uh, But think of each of these crimes as predicates. They call them RICO predicates because they fall into one portfolio of a larger crime, a larger narrative, a conspiracy run by someone at the top. 
racketeering, organizing individuals to commit small crimes that add up to a much bigger one. That's what a RICO prosecution is. In other words, somebody at the top, a mobster, or in this case, Donald Trump, uh, organizes a bunch of people to commit second or third degree felonies, possibly misdemeanors. But when you add up all the felonies, all the misdemeanors, they're all organized by one guy at the top, organized crime. In this case, it would be Donald Trump. Through RICO, through a RICO prosecution, you can prosecute the top guy and charge him with racketeering. That's what a RICO prosecution looks like. And I will talk about that more because it's a little confusing if you're not a lawyer. Now, earlier in the day, the Fulton County Court accidentally posted what looked like the indictments online. Screen captures. Uh, screen, hang on. Let me just check. Uh, OK, nothing new. Earlier in the day, the Fulton County Court accidentally posted the indictment online. It immediately took it down. The screen captures immediately revealed that they were overturning Roe v. Wade. Oh, wait, that's the leak from last year. I'm sorry. Uh, But I did, some of you, I'm sure all of you, got an early look at these indictments that were posted temporarily on the web. And those, it added up to 39 counts. And we now believe there are 10 indictments, not 39. The 39 counts posted at first glance appeared to all be RICO predicates, and by that, I mean they all seem to uh, com- they all seem to be indicting Donald Trump. Def- Donald Trump was named as the person being indicted from the leak. And uh, all the charges appeared to be RICO predicates, all conspiracy to commit a whole suite of crimes Uh Again, think of RICO as a portfolio of conspiratorial crimes. Anytime you hear the word conspiracy, if the indictments come down later tonight and you hear the word conspiracy, chances are it's part of the RICO prosecution. It's where a mob boss doesn't necessarily commit each individual crime, but he is guilty of ordering people below him to commit them. As I said earlier, there was an advisory grand jury assembled last year to assist the Fulton County District Attorney to get sworn testimony under oath to get an idea of what another grand jury that can hand down indictments like the one on Monday. Uh, This is it's like a dress rehearsal to see what kind of evidence you can get. So. The advisory grand jury from last year could not hand down indictments, but it can make recommendations, and it did. Last year, it suggested that there were at least 12 people who should be indicted. During an interview with the foreman of that advisory grand jury last year, she said she couldn't reveal who they recommended to be indicted, but she winked and smiled and she said, it's pretty much everyone you expect it to be. So Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. The jury also recommended charges of perjury. This is the advisory grand jury, not the grand jury that seems to have handed down 10 indictments late Monday night. The advisory jury last year recommended charges of perjury, suggesting that some of the big name Trump associates who 
got dragged before the advisory grand jury, had lied under oath. Now, Trump did not testify before the advisory grand jury or the one that just handed down these indictments, so he can't be charged with perjury. We don't know if it's just Trump being indicted Monday night or there were 20 other people who were contacted by Fawny Willis told they they might be the target of a prosecution. That would be some of the phony electors. That is most probably Sidney Powell, Trump's attorney, and uh, Kenneth Cheesebro, who wrote the memos, uh, as well as John Eastman, who wrote the memos that gave legal heft uh, to the forgery, and of course, Rudy Giuliani. As I've said, this has the potential to be the trial of the century. It involves celebrity, power, and most importantly, race. It is bigger than OJ because it will be televised. It looks, Georgia allows, as we saw Monday night, cameras in the courtroom, and I can't help but think televising this trial will will make it less of a circus. People will stay home and watch through transparency. There are fewer conspiracy theories. It might silence QAnon some of the QAnon people, maybe, uh, you know, they they won't gather around the courtroom and make trouble, although they can watch it on their phone while committing mayhem. So I'm I think televising this uh, might. Uh, OK, just want to make sure Fonnie Willis isn't talking yet and that we can't read the indictment. I want to get this out of the way before I read the indictment. I want to predict what I think is in the indictment. Nobody is certain whether Trump, if reelected, can pardon himself for a federal crime. We are certain, however, that he cannot pardon himself for crimes committed in a state. Now, it is conceivable that Trump wins by a landslide in 2024 and the Republican governor and Georgia state legislature They become so browbeaten by Trump, they pass some bill pardoning him, and the state Supreme Court is so terrified, they sign off on the pardon. But that's the end of the world. If that happens, it's the end of the world. The federal government has no part in this criminal prosecution. Donald Trump cannot pardon anybody if he's elected president again. He can't pardon himself or anybody else. And if he he is convicted in Georgia... He has to be in prison five years before he can go before the parole board. And that parole board is independent. The governor is a Republican, Brian Kemp. He doesn't issue the pardons. A parole board does. Granted, he could fire the parole board, but he hasn't cooperated with Trump. The Republicans in Georgia have not cooperated with Trump. They did not help him at all try to reverse the election results in Georgia. I would assume that uh, while Fawny Willis is not uh, working with special counsel Jack Smith, I would assume the two offices are coordinating on some level. I don't know. I do know the January 6th committee coordinated with the Justice Department to make sure they wouldn't contaminate any criminal prosecutions of Trump or his associates. And it's worth noting that during Contragate, some of the convictions were eventually overturned 
due to confusion over witness testimony before congressional committees. That's why the January 6th committee was very careful to coordinate with the Justice Department. They didn't want to contaminate any witnesses and d- blow up a prosecution because of Contragate. They learned their lesson from Contragate in the 80s. Uh, immunity deals were handed out to witnesses who went before the, the the select committee, the congressional committee looking into Contragate. And that stepped on, I think it was Walsh. I think he was the um, independent counsel looking into it back then. So a couple of people uh, couldn't be prosecuted for Contragate. And then George Herbert Walker Bush became president in 1989. And then he pardoned the rest of the people who were convicted for Contragate. So let's let me get to the RICO prosecution because we hear about them all the time. And I am a little scattered. I apologize. Uh, This indictment came down uh, much sooner than I anticipated. I was going to talk about Montana and the climate change ruling tonight. Uh, so the RICO prosecution, uh, we hear about RICO prosecutions all the time. Trump looks like he's going to be indicted under Georgia's racketeering laws, RICO's racketeering laws. This would be the RICO prosecution that Fawny Willis seems to be a fan of. Now, Fawny Willis has only been on the job. She's only been the Fulton County District Attorney since 2021. She is elected. And one of her first hires, she knew something was up with Donald Trump trying to overturn the election results in Georgia. So one of her first hires as the District Attorney in Fulton County was a RICO specialist. She also reportedly likes to use RICO laws, state RICO laws in Georgia, and has successfully prosecuted several cases using RICO laws to put away people you wouldn't necessarily think of as mobsters. She put away teachers in Georgia uh, under (laughs) the uh, racketeering laws. The, The RICO prosecutions now would have to prove that Trump was the head of a racket, a criminal conspiracy to change the election results. So before I get back to the RICO prosecutions, which, you know, peels back everything Trump ordered his associates to do and what he did between Election Day 2020 and January 6th, I want to review some of the state laws that Trump either broke or ordered people to break And that would be under the umbrella of a RICO prosecution. These are some of the the state laws that people from the Brookings Institute, uh, people who write over at Lawfare, people who write over Just Security. These are what some of the experts, these are some of the laws that they think Fawny Willis will indict Donald Trump over. okay, and they all add up under racketeering, supposedly. So these would these would be crimes, but let's call them RICO predicates because they would theoretically fall under the umbrella of a RICO uh, prosecution. These are crimes that he either broke or ordered to be broken as the head of a racket. 
Forgery in the first degree. I really want to talk about forgery in the first degree because it will help you understand the phony elector slate, which is confusing. The phony elector scheme, I know it's difficult for people to completely understand, and that's why I, I want to go over that with you. It's forgery in the first degree. Conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree. You can be certain that in these indictments, Donald Trump will be charged with conspiring to commit forgery in the first degree. So what? why forgery and what is the connection between forgery and the phony elector slate? What you need to understand is on January 6th, according to the Constitution, the vice president, who's also president of the Senate, stands up and counts the electoral college votes. OK, in the Constitution, every four years, it says every four years on December 14th, electors in each state vote by paper ballot for president and vice president. Each state has different laws, but they're pretty much the same, both in each state, especially in Georgia, both the Republicans and the Democrats have a slate of electors that they put before their state legislature. And for all intents and purposes, whoever wins the popular vote in the state of Georgia, then the slate of electors from that person's party, they get to cast their ballots for president in the Electoral College. There's no workaround. You can't short circuit this. Under Georgia law, whoever wins the popular vote, now it's a little different in each state, but in Georgia, whoever wins the popular vote, okay, the his party's slate of electors then get to be sent on paper to Washington, D.C. on January 6th for the certification of the Electoral College. Now, Georgia has two senators and 14 Congress people. Uh, so it gets 16 electors. A state gets the number of electors is you add up the number of people, Congress people and senators. So that's 16 electors. And Trump faces forgery charges or if it's a RICO prosecution, and it looks like it is, he faces a, a RICO predicate of conspiracy to commit forgery because there are very specific rules in each state and Georgia when it comes to choosing a slate of electors on December 14th. OK, we know. Let me just check here. I just want to make sure she's not speaking. Uh, OK, she's not speaking. OK, she's not speaking yet. Uh, we now know that Trump working off memos written by Harvard Law School graduate Kenneth Cheesebro and John Eastman, we know uh, uh, Clarence, uh, John Eastman would be Clarence Thomas's former law clerk and Ginny Thomas's best friend. We know that working off their legal memos, the Trump legal team under the leadership of Rudy Giuliani orchestrated a phony meter, meeting of electors in Georgia State Capitol building. Yes, that is the memo said the phony electors, John, Kenneth Cheesebro, Harvard Law, when he wrote the memo, said you have to send the phony electors into the state capitol. They must convene under Georgia law. 
a slate of electors must convene in the state capital for it to look authentic. This is forgery. And so you have to understand that there was a conspiracy. Rudy Giuliani, Kenneth Cheesebro, John Eastman, and local attorneys and Republican officials on the ground in Georgia, they conspired to orchestrate a phony meeting of electors in the state capital of Georgia in order to send an alternative slate of fake electors to be considered when Mike Pence tallies the electoral count on January 6th. This meeting was uh, the one that uh, the journalist George Chidey stumbled into on December 14th. That's why he was called to testify. So Georgia officially sent 16 electors to Washington, D.C. to be counted on January 6th, all of them for Biden. But thanks to this criminal conspiracy, thanks to Donald Trump, They forged the Republicans under the guidance of Rudy Giuliani, taking orders from the mob boss, Donald Trump. They forged a slate of 16 electors all voting for Trump and then mailed that slate of phony electors to Congress, as well as the National Archives. They insisted that they follow Georgia state law, that they met inside the Capitol as Georgia state law insists, and they signed forged documents. This is forgery, attesting that Donald Trump won the popular vote in Georgia, and therefore we are the rightful slate of electors. They signed this. They certified it. They mailed it. That is forgery. There was not a single shred of evidence of voter fraud. This is forgery. Three recounts in the state of Georgia. Not a single Republican election official in Georgia said there was evidence of fraud. Those documents were forgeries and mailing them to Washington and the National Archives is forgery. It's filing false documents, which is another RICO predicate. It is a crime to file false documents in the state of Georgia. It's a crime to uh, to issue false statements. You're defrauding the voters of Congress, the voters of Georgia. You're defrauding the voters of Georgia and the United States Congress. These are all violations of state law. We know that several of the 16 phony electors were high-ranking members of the Republican Party in Georgia, which means they're stupid. They didn't know what they were signing. They were coerced. It is a crime to coerce, to conspire, to coerce people into signing false documents. They were bullied by Republican lawyers on the ground in Georgia who were taking orders from Rudy Giuliani, who was taking orders from the president. Okay, that is against the law. It is It is against the law to solicit a crime. It is against the law to solicit a crime under false pretenses. That's all according to Georgia law. And all these little crimes that were committed will fall under a larger narrative of a RICO prosecution, which we assume Fawny Willis is going to used to prosecute uh, uh, Donald Trump. How do we know it's forgery? 
How do we know? How do we know these are false statements? Joe Biden won Georgia by 11,779 votes. How do we know that? The state of Georgia conducted three recounts. Three paper ballots were hand counted. Now, it is against the law to meet inside the Georgia state capitol under the aegis of the Republican Party putting together a slate of electors to send to Washington, D.C., It is forgery. It is fraud. It is criminal in the state of Georgia to claim to be duly elected members of the Electoral College. It is criminal to sign documents. It is criminal to order someone to sign documents. It is criminal to forge documents. It is criminal to conspire Donald Trump to conspire to get people to forge documents claiming that Donald Trump won the state of Georgia, even though there was not one credible shred of evidence to support that. There is not a single shred of evidence to suggest any evidence of voter fraud in Georgia. The Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffsenberger, oversaw the elections. He's a Republican. He oversaw the counting of the votes. Everybody in his office, including he, found no evidence of voter fraud. You've heard the infamous phone call. Three recounts. That's what they said to the president, to then President Donald Trump. The courts in Georgia had all dismissed Rudy's challenges of election fraud. So while the phony electors prosecution is a lot to try to understand, it is most definitely when these indictments are unsealed, it is most definitely going to be the chief reason Trump will be charged with conspiracy to commit forgery, or at least to order the the falsified documents and the false statements. Now, we know that Fawny Willis, the the district attorney, has already granted immunity to some of those 16 phony electors, which means they flipped. They're going to name all the Republican lawyers who were taking orders from Rudy Giuliani, who told them what documents to sign and how to forge a slate of fake electors. And Rudy Giuliani was getting that information from Harvard Law School graduate Kenneth Cheesebro, who wrote the memos on how to forge a fake slate of electors. And the memos also came from John Eastman, Ginny Thomas's best friend. He was also the former, uh, he was a law clerk for Justice Clarence Thomas. Okay. Uh, Now, Kenneth Cheesebro has flown under the radar. I expect him to be indicted in Georgia. Maybe it's wishful thinking. I don't think these indictments, I I have a feeling they're mostly Donald Trump. I think, let me just check and see what's going on here. I just want to make. uh, So copies of the indictment have still not been printed, which means the the district attorney has not made her statement yet. Uh, Kenneth Cheesebro, if he isn't indicted uh, today in Georgia, he should be. 
Harvard Law School. He wrote the memos explaining happily, happily explaining what the phony electors had to do to make it look somewhat legitimate. In his memos, he says none of this will stand up under scrutiny, but it will create enough confusion on January 6th so that Mike Pence can declare more time is needed to settle this dispute. In his memos, he says the phony electors will create uh, confusion and that will provide cover to Mike Pence. And he'll be able to say if he agreed to do this and he wouldn't, that there seems to be two sets of electors. I cannot certify this election. The Supreme Court, made up of mostly conservative Republicans, would say it belongs. Let the House of Representatives, let Congress decide. And I believe because of the electoral count, I think Republicans would hold a 20 it would be 20, I think they would get 26 votes. Each state gets one vote and there are 50 states and there are 20, I think 26 states are Republican controlled. So they, Trump would be reelected. This was all part of the plan. Create enough confusion to have it thrown into the into Congress. And if Congress decides who the president is because of the Electoral Count Act and the way they vote and the, the way the states are weighted, they knew, Kenneth Cheesebro and John Eastman knew, that Donald Trump would win the election if it were up to Congress. So you can begin to see how this fits into a RICO prosecution. Two or more people conspiring to break the law with a chain of command starting in Washington and then filtering down dripping down, oozing down to the state of Georgia through capos and button men, right? Rudy Giuliani, capo, right? Another likely charge against Trump is making false statements to a Georgia government official, impeding that official's ability to do his or her job. That is against the law in Georgia. And Donald Trump didn't conspire with anybody to commit that crime. He did that all on his own. You've heard the phone calls. Now, you can lie. That's your First Amendment right. But you can't make false statements under Georgia law. You cannot make false statements or order people to make false statements, especially to government officials who administer the law or carry on the work of the people, you know, like overseeing the elections. For example... On the federal level, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn was indicted, had to be pardoned because he made false statements to the FBI. Uh, yeah, so Trump has been indicted. Uh, and they're, they're, all 10 of those are Trump indictments? Not yet. Not yet. We just know that Trump was indicted. Great. Thank you. Uh, so Michael Flynn's First Amendment rights are not protected. You're not allowed to lie to the FBI. That's not a First Amendment right. Uh, thank you for that. So throughout December of 2020, Trump was making calls to the governor of Georgia, Republican Brian Kemp, as well as other elected officials, insisting he had evidence of voter fraud. Brad Raffsenberger, the secretary of state, 
wouldn't take his calls. Throughout December, Donald Trump was calling every day. Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State of Georgia, Republican, would not take Donald Trump's calls. This is the crime that Donald Trump will probably be uh, indicted for. He was acting, as they say, under the color of law, right? Under the, he is the president of the United States. He controls the executive branch. He hires and fires. He fired James Comey. Remember that? The head of the FBI? There's supposed to be walls between the Oval Office and the Justice Department and the FBI. But in the end, they answer to Donald Trump. He got away with firing James Comey. They brief him. The FBI... The attorney general, they brief him as much as he wants to be briefed. So when the president of the United States picks up a phone and calls a Georgia state election official and insists, I have evidence of voter fraud in the hope of getting those state election officials to act on that information. And if that information is false, knowingly false, that is a crime. The crime of making false statements, false statements through a telephone call. It's against the law. It's not protected by the First Amendment. The, the, uh, it's a crime to make false statements in writing, like the 16 phony electors, right? It's a crime to order people to make false statements in writing, okay? False testimony before the Georgia state legislature, which Rudy Giuliani is most certainly guilty of. They are all illegal. Rudy Giuliani went before several Georgia uh, uh, committees in the legislative branch and claimed voter fraud, which he knew was a lie. If he, you know, he's so drunk, who knows what he knew. Uh, it is illegal to make false statements the First Amendment does not protect perjury. This is not freedom of speech. Most crimes start with words. Give me your money or I'll kill you is not protected by freedom of speech. And this is what Trump's attorneys are claiming. It is sophistry. You cannot knowingly lie to Georgia government officials verbally or in writing with the intent of overturning election results based on a lie, based on a lie. We know Trump knew he was lying. Now, here's the important thing. It's called mens rea, the criminal mind. Now, if Trump thought he'd won Georgia, if he honestly thought he had won Georgia, then it would be hard for Fawny Willis to prove criminal intent. You'll notice he's changed his tune recently under advice of counsel. I was watching him at the Iowa State Fair, and he was saying, I believe I won Georgia. But that's not what he said back when he was committing these crimes. And that's not what he's still saying. He's still saying he won. He was saying in the lead up to January 6th, he was saying or implying, I'm the president of the United States. I have information nobody else has. And there is voter fraud in Georgia. And I want you to act on this. Under the color of law, as the commander in chief, he told the secretary of state in Georgia, 
I have information that there is voter fraud. You've been notified. Listen to the tape. I've played it on the show. I have information there is voter fraud. You are now notified and you're opening yourself up to prosecution because you've been notified of a crime and your failure to do anything about it opens you up to a prosecution. That is against the law to strong arm and coerce the Secretary of State of Georgia with false information. The Republican governor, the Republican Secretary of State, the Republican State Attorney General, the Lieutenant Governor, they knew he was lying. They had conducted three recounts. Nothing. Now, Trump can go speak at the Iowa State Fair and say, I believe there was voter fraud. But when he committed the crime, he wasn't saying, I believe there was voter fraud. He was saying under the color of law as the commander in chief, there is voter fraud. And a criminal indictment, a criminal trial that will be televised means there is no way Donald Trump will be taking the stand. He won't be putting on the gloves because the minute he opens his mouth, he will perjure and incriminate himself. The first thing out of his mouth will be perjury and he will incriminate himself. Fawny Willis must prove criminal intent on charges of knowingly making false statements, okay? So, did Donald Trump knowingly make false statements? For Trump and his lawyers to prove to a jury that Donald Trump believed he was telling the truth, then he, or since he will never testify, his lawyers must prove to a jury that Trump was working off a box of evidence that proved voter fraud. He was called he was officially called the head of a criminal group. So it's a RICO prosecution. That's uh, that's fantastic. So in order to prove. Thank you for that. In order to prove criminal intent, uh, uh, in order to prove that there was no criminal intent, Trump's attorneys must prove to a jury that Trump was working off a box of evidence that proved voter fraud. He had no box. He had no files, nothing. He must prove that he was told by someone that there was evidence of voter fraud. He has to point to one person, one shred of evidence that convinced him there was voter fraud. And if he can produce that one expert, that one shred of evidence that there was voter fraud, then and only then could you maybe convince a jury that Donald Trump truly believed there was voter fraud and therefore you would have a problem convicting him on making false statements because at the time he was working off evidence that had been presented to him. But there is no one. Nobody told him there was voter fraud. No Body. Nobody told him there was voter fraud in Georgia. Nobody. Nobody. He ordered the Justice Department to find voter fraud. He fired Bill Barr, his attorney general, because Barr couldn't find voter fraud. And then he was going to fire the acting attorney general Rosen and replace him with Jeffrey Clark, a low-level attorney in the environmental department of the Justice Department, because Jeffrey Clark was the only lawyer in the Justice Department willing to say there was voter fraud. 
And there was a showdown in the White House when Trump was going to fire the acting attorney general and replace him with Jeffrey Clark. Everyone was in the room. Jeffrey Clark, Rosen, Donahue, uh, the uh, the assistant attorney general, the deputy assistant attorney general and all of uh, Trump's uh, White House counsel. And everybody told him, you cannot fire Rosen and replace him with Jeffrey Clark. You cannot do this. This is what Stephen Engel told the January 6th committee. And I think it really sums up uh, what Trump was trying to pull off here. Uh, Steve Engel was an assistant U.S. attorney general in the Justice Department. He was in the Oval Office when this big meeting came down, when Donald Trump said, I'm going to replace Rosen, acting attorney general, with Jeffrey Clark, because Jeffrey Clark has proof of voter fraud. And they said, there is no voter fraud. There's something wrong with Jeffrey Clark. Some of the things that were said about Jeffrey Clark in that meeting were uh, pretty nasty. This is what Stephen Engel, uh, assistant U.S. attorney general who was at the meeting, this is what he told the January 6th committee. The president turned to me and said, this was, they, they were, they, they had said, if you make Jeffrey Clark acting attorney general, the entire Justice Department is going to resign. The president, this is what he said. The president turned to me and said, Steve, you wouldn't, let me, I'm just getting an update here. 41 counts of indictments for Trump and others. So it wasn't 10 indictments. Wow. Four, I got to wrap this up. I got to read the indictments. 41 counts indictments. So it was what was leaked and they've indicted others. So I haven't seen the indictment. I'm going to assume. Let me go to the Web here. Uh, let me just see what it's saying. Thank you. Set of uh, the set of charges accuses Trump of leading a criminal enterprise to stay in office. Forty one counts named in the indictment from racketeering charges to conspiracy, to commit forgery, to perjury. All right. So somebody lied before the uh, advisory grand jury uh, last year. Uh, th this is the largest set of indictments that Trump faces. Uh, it's bigger than any of the... Uh, uh, the other three indictments, he's been charged with 13 counts. Uh, and OK, so I need to read this. Um, OK, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, this is what I'm going to wrap it up. I, I got to go read the indictments. Uh, yeah. I think that covers everything. Um, well, I, I'm wondering if criminal solicitation is one of the counts. That's criminal under Georgia state law. Someone is guilty of criminal solicitation. If they order or solicit, beg or ask someone to break the law, that carries with it a five-year prison sentence. And it doesn't matter under Georgia state law whether the person you order to commit a crime commits that crime. 
Doesn't matter if the person you solicited is found innocent of the crime you solicited. If you asked, ordered, beseeched that person to commit a crime, regardless of whether or not it was committed, you are guilty of criminal solicitation. Uh, Trump, this is going to be a RICO prosecution. So you see how this it, this is interesting. Rudy knows uh, R- RICO prosecutions. Uh, he put people away back in the 80s using the RICOs. Uh, but Trump isn't even a good mobster. Remember, remember Paul Servino in Goodfellas? He was uh, Trump and 18 others in Georgia voter voter fraud. Uh, others unnamed so far. 18 others have been indicted. Interesting. So definitely. Um, here's my prediction. Definitely Rudy. Definitely Kenneth Cheesebro. Definitely uh, Sidney Powell. Uh, I think John Eastman. Uh there's a, a Marjorie Taylor Greene's lawyer whose name escapes me. I, I bet uh, he might be. And then the the phony slate of electors. Um, probably very few Republicans from Georgia. I would have to assume they're mostly uh, Washington insiders who've been indicted. I wonder if Mark Meadows the White House chief of staff under Trump has been indicted because he went down there and tried to bully election officials. So he might be one of somebody indicted. Uh, but as far as mob bosses go, Donald Trump is the worst. Uh, you remember Paul Servino in, in Goodfellas? He never talked on the phone. He rarely talked to anyone. All messages went back and forth through his brother, who would whisper them in his ear, right? That way, the worst he could get is criminal solicitation, right? I'm not the trigger man. That's how Paul Servino ended up going to prison. And I got to wrap this up. What, what, what do we have here? But Trump works, unlike Paul Servino, he works the phones. He leaves a paper trail. He's the dumbest. Oh, it's all. Yeah, because it's one indictment. Yes, it's a racketeering. So each crime falls under each. Yeah, it's one indictment. I see because it's racketeering. And then each crime is a predicate under that falls underneath it. I'm glad I explained that. Uh, uh, All right. This is uh, I don't know. Maybe Trump will get away with this. Maybe he's big tuna Cardo and he gets away with this. Uh, Okay. Um, I should wrap this up. Um, Before I go, let me just say something about Rico. Jim Walden over at NBC News has has a piece that he wrote back in October of 2022, which you should, if you want to understand what a Rico prosecution is, uh, He writes that Rudy Giuliani dusted off RICO statutes and used them to take down the mob. And uh, uh, James Walden is a former federal prosecutor and assistant U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York. And uh, he says that RICO federally became law in 1970 when Congress passed the Racketeer 
Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. Obviously, Georgia passed a similar law to prosecute organized crime locally. And what the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organization Act allows is prosecutors to create a narrative of criminal enterprise where crimes are committed as part of an organization as opposed to an individual. So uh, I kind of think of it as a car, the crime is a car on an assembly line. Each part of the car is installed by a separate individual so that nobody can take responsibility for the entire crime. So the crime comes down the assembly line and one crew assembles the bribery, then another crew uh, assembles the threats and then it moves down and another crew assembles the money laundering. And by the time this crime rolls off the assembly line, you have a brand new crime uh, with 50,000 working parts, but nobody can point to the crime and said, I did it. But with the new RICO Act, well, new in 1970, you can point to a series of crimes and say it's part of a much larger crime scheme. And you stop looking at the assembly line and you go upstairs and arrest Henry Ford for creating the assembly line. In this case, it's Donald Trump. You start at the assembly line. You try to pick off the low-hanging fruit with the intent of getting them to flip so you can get the top guy. Uh Okay, I wonder if Boris Epstein uh, has been indicted. This is serious stuff. This is as serious a crime as the assassination of President Kennedy. The fact that people who killed Kennedy got away with it and Trump didn't doesn't matter. The conspiracy, as I just said, is just as bad. To try to remove a duly elected president is a crime, whether you succeed or or not. Climate change, Medicare for all, assault weapons, racist cops, persecution of the LGBTQ community, income inequality, abortion, all of this is way more important than whether or not Donald Trump gets locked up. In fact, the reason Trump rose to power is we've never addressed all these other issues. It is in the best interest of the rich and powerful to distract and scare us with Donald Trump. He is the perfect foil, the perfect distraction. Now, I can get myself all worked up and start thinking, what if he wins? He's going to turn us into Nazi Germany. I don't think so, even if he wins. One of our saving graces as Americans is... Unlike the Germans, we all hate each other. To turn America into a fascist state on the order of Nazi Germany, you must get the entire country marching in lockstep. You know, I like my neighbor, but if she's marching east, I'm marching north because I know she's planning something. I don't trust her. I see the older men she dates. I like her. She's a good neighbor, but I'm not marching where she's going. We hate each other. We do. We all hate one another. And that is what's going to keep us from becoming Nazi Germany. 
I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. And even if Trump ends up in prison, the system is still effed. Thank you, everybody.